Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church Podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. You just never know where you're going to get Freedom Church, right? I love that. So thankful for all our people, man. We're starting a brand new series called Love Handles, and we're going to talk about issues that we deal with in relationships. And uh, one of the things that's happening there's, with every relationship almost is there's conflict. And there's so much conflict, there's even these things called breakup songs, right? Like today, Taylor Swift, she's like the queen of breakup songs. There should literally, you should sign a waiver that you, if you date her, that your relationship will not turn out into a song. But she has so many songs. Like here's one of her most popular songs. We've never, we're never, ever, ever getting back together. Like me, if you had uh, a breakup in the 2000s, you probably listened to Kelly Clarkson since we've been gone. We, since you've been, remember that? That's Livy's song, right? That's your generation. That's your generation right there. Man, and the, if, you, if you're my in the 90s, you're, it's boys to men, the end of the road. How many of you guys just. Yeah, well, that's what I'm talking about, yeah. And. And then if you're like my boy Rick back there, this is the best of all. The Righteous Brothers lost that loving feeling right there. Man, have you noticed there's so many songs about just relationship failure? Like, where's the relationship success songs? But here's the reality. There's always going to be conflict in relationship. No relationship or marriage can last that fantasy romantic feeling the reality is moonlight and midnight will eventually give way to daylight diapers and dishes and when that happens you better have a plan because here's the reality of this opposites attract and then opposites attack you love that person because they were different than you and now you're not as fond of them because they're different than you see conflict is inevitable in every relationship Not just romantic relationships, but family relationships, friendships, work relationships. So don't tune me out just thinking I'm going to be talking about marriages. All the stuff I'm going to share with you, you can apply to every relationship. And you're going to give you some handles how to handle love. That's why it's called love handles. It's not about the little things you have on your side, but it's handles to handle the love. In the passage we're looking at this morning, we're going to look at James chapter 4. And we're going to get some incredible insight from James on how to work through conflict. See, long before modern psychology and Sigmund Freud, James, the brother, half-brother of Jesus, gives us some profound insight on the cause of conflict. This is incredible. Look what he says in James 4, verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from underlying this, your desires, that battle within you? James says the causes of conflict comes from me. Years ago, there's a sitcom called Seinfeld, and there was this iconic scene in where George was being dumped by his girlfriend, and she gave him his own classic line, it's not you, it's me. That's why we're breaking up. How many of you guys ever had that line? It's not really your fault, it's me that all the problems come in right there. Horrible line. But you know what? There's so much truth to that statement. Here's what I've learned in 20 years of counseling couples. There's no such thing as marriage problems. 
Yep, there is no such thing as marriage problems. There are single people problems that get worse in marriage. Dr. Gary Thomas says this, that marriage doesn't create problems, it just reveals them. So if you're in a relationship, if you have a good friend, I want you to look at them. If you're close to somebody, if you're close to look at them and tell them, it's not you, it's me. It really is. Look at them. I know it's hard to admit. It's not you. It's me. I'm the problem here. Like, we don't like to admit that, but, but that's, what, that's what James says. Here's the truth that we're going to learn from the passage of James. What's in you is going to come out of you regardless of who's with you. It's a hard pill to swallow because we like to blame others, especially those closest to us, like our spouses. I like to blame my wife. I like to blame my kids. I like to blame my parents. But James says, you know what the reason that you are aggravated and you're fighting? This is the reason. Verse 2, you desire and you don't have. So you kill. You covet because you cannot get you what you want. So you quarrel and you fight. James is saying that the root of this conflict, we got to stop blaming others and we got to start looking in the mirror. That's why the people, have you realized that the people closest to you can tick you off more than anybody else? Nobody can get you as mad as your husband, amen? Or your wife, amen, right there. And your kids and your closest friend, why is that? Because they're closest to you. I remember when Jennifer and I first got married, I was a little arrogant, prideful, uh, bad guy. I think we all were. Love Jesus, but had a lot of issues. And I would tell her this. I'd say, Jennifer, I'm a youth pastor. I get along with everybody. Everybody loves me. Nobody makes me mad but you. Everybody thinks I'm awesome. Like, why do you bring out the worst? It's your fault. I'm not going to say amen. You're laughing because you're like, man, we start blaming other people. And I told her, oh, Lord, forgive me. I said this. I literally told her, Jennifer, you must have a problem, not me. Because look at all these people. They love me. Then I read this passage in James. That's why it's good to read your Bible. And the words of James hit me like a Mike Tyson punch right between the eyes. And I realized the reason I had conflict in my marriage is because Jennifer was the only person that saw the real, selfish, prideful, ugly Benito. Everybody else saw the fake veneer. Everybody else saw the Benito that was, oh, civilized and the pastor and the nice guy. But what happens is when you get close to somebody, sometimes your selfishness and your pride and your ugliness is on full display. Why? Because you're close to them. They see you 24-7. They see you all the time. And it's hard to pretend when you're married, right? Let me illustrate to you how this works in marriage. So I've invited some really good friends of mine, Mr. and Mrs. Mug here. Mr. and Mrs. Mug, they met back at Southwestern Assemblies of God University, the best university, I just might say. And uh, Mr. Mug looked at Mrs. Mug, and she was, she was so cute. Like, look at her. Would you not be attracted? Look, look, look at the curves. It's just amazing. And he finally gathers up some some, some uh, courage to talk to her, and he's like, hey, baby, what's up? Are you from Tennessee? Because a 10 is all I see. <laughs> he's like, wow. And it's going good. And then he says this, smoking must be hazardous for my health because I am dying right now. But the one that really went through this, like, man, if you were a transformer, you'd be Optimus Fine. And she's like, What? I can't believe it. Just look at him. He's in college. He has a career. Like, things are good. Let's go to date. 
instead of going out a day, and it's awesome, and they're careful, and things are great, and they love each other. They have little bumps, just little bumps. But then all of a sudden, he says, will you marry me? She says, of course. And then they're married a month. And after they're married a month, they find, they find their first little challenge. They're like, oh! What happened? I never saw that before in you. All this stuff. I didn't know that you were, I didn't know you had anger issues. I didn't know that you were controlling. Man, all this stuff just came up that they've never seen before. And they get in another one. And it's like, oh my gosh. I married a psycho. And she says, you weren't like this before you were dating, and you weren't that crazy before that. And she goes to talk to her sister, and she says, man, I think I made a mistake. If you find me dead, realize it's my husband who did it. And, and, and she goes, he goes, guys, I don't know, guys don't go to talk. He goes, he goes to the toilet just to think, right? And that's where he's. <laughs> and they have all these problems. And she's convinced that it's Mr. Mug's problem. And she's convinced that it's Mrs. Mug's problem. But they don't realize that every time they have a conflict, it's their stuff that's coming out. Like, she thinks if he would stop and he would start and if he would be nicer and he'd be more sincere and he would just serve me more and, and then I wouldn't act like this. But she doesn't realize, guess what? That's the pink beans keep coming out. And he looks at her, if you wouldn't be so demanding and controlling and bothering me and during the Cowboys game, then it'd be all right. <laughs> but he doesn't realize that no matter what, here's the problem. The problem with Mr. Mug is blue beans keep coming out. And the problem with Mrs. Mug, no matter what happens, no matter all this, this is what happens about romantic relationships. Let me break it down for you. Man, it's not until you get into a romantic relationship, a close relationship, for the first time that you all of a sudden realize what's in there. And you all remember during your first fight, you're like, oh my gosh, you were so cute, and now I think I married Chucky. <laughs> you guys remember, you, you saw that first fight, you're like, oh my God, you're a different person. And here's the thing, and we go on, and we just blame the other person. And we say, if you would stop, and if you would start, and if you would do this, and if you wouldn't act like this, and you wouldn't act like that, then I would be different. And what happens is we think the other person is causing all the problems. And says, but you know what the problem is? This is what's inside of us. And you know what the problem is with Mrs. Mug? This is what's inside of her. And when you have conflict, when you have challenges, whatever is inside of you is going to come out. Just look at Jesus. Whatever's inside of you comes out. In a marriage relationship, it pushes what's inside of you because you'll have bumps and challenges and proximity that things will flow out of you that will freak you out. And if you're not careful, you will blame your spouse all your life. Oh, it's not funny anymore, right? Because <laughs> what's on the inside comes out in the outside. And James says this. Look at this. This is James chapter 1, verse, chapter one verse, uh, verse 1 and 4 says, What causes fights among you? Why are you fighting? Don't they come from the desires that battle within you? 
We all need an aha moment where we realize, you know what, it's not you, it's me. That's why changing partners never works. People will change partners only to realize that they have the same problems. That's why life's so easy when you're single. You can change roommates, you can change jobs, you can change apartments, you can change everything around you. But then you get married and you're stuck. And it's your spouse's fault. I'm not happy. And James says, no, it's you. And James addresses the three most common roots of conflict. You know what they are? They're unmet expectations, selfishness, and pride. Every one of our conflicts come down to those three things. That's why I'm a horrible marriage counselor. Man, everybody wants to tell me their sad story and talk about that story. And I'll listen to the story, but hey, let's get down. What, what is it? Is it unmet expectations? Is it selfishness? Is it pride? And let's unpack those th- three those, uh, those three this morning. Which one is it? And I'm, look at the first one, unmet expectations. You see it in verse 2. You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So what happens? When you don't get what you want, you fight. James is telling us when we don't get exactly what we want, we get mad. But what if in the middle of your next conflict, what if you would say, you know the reason I'm mad right now? I'm not getting what I want. I want you to act a certain way. I want you to do a certain thing. I want you to walk this way. And when you don't do what I want you to do, what happens? I get mad. So here's the thing. What if in the middle of your next fight, you would look at the person that you're in conflict with, and you would say this. You know why I'm mad right now? I'm not getting what I want. So let's practice this hand motion. Get your, get your finger out like this. Get your finger out like this. Let's pretend you're in a fight with the person next to you, whether it's your wife or not. Just look at them. And, and, and just look at it. Man, Rosie, look at Daniel right now. I want to see that, right? Andy, look at right there. And say, you know why I'm mad right now? You know I'm aggravated? I'm not getting what I want. I'm not saying that's all the problem, but the root of the problem is I'm not getting what I want, according to James. Some of you are thinking, I hope my husband's listening to this right now. I wish my wife was here this morning. I wish my teenage kids were here. There you go again. The issue is not them. It's you. The reason you're in conflict, the reason you're mad at somebody, think about the reason you're mad right now. You might be mad at your kids because they're not acting the way you want them to act. They're not picking up stuff in their rooms. My wife spends all the money. My husband doesn't work hard enough. He's insensitive. My parents don't understand me. We can go on and on and on. But every time we're mad is we are mad because we have expectations that we're putting on people. And they are not living up to those expectations. And we're pointing at them. But I want you to know, as you point on them, there's four fingers pointing right back at you. And the reason you're mad right now is you're not getting what you want. You have unmet expectations, according to James. Think about your last fight. You wanted your husband to do that, and he didn't. You wanted your kid to do a certain thing, and they didn't, and you are mad. And the bottom line for many people is this. I thought being married to you was different than it is, and I'm not getting what I want out of this marriage. And the problem is when you have all these expectations is you enter into a debt-debtor relationship. You can feel this. And what you do is you have a you-owe-me attitude. You're the wife, so you owe me this stuff. You're the husband, so you owe me. Some of you are thinking, Pastor B, am I not justified in expecting certain things from my husband and from my wife? Here's the problem. Any relationship that goes into a debt-debtor relationship, the romance and trust is gone because all of a sudden the relationship now is built in performance rather than love. You become entitled and you lose thankfulness and you lose joy and your spouse doesn't get credit. Your kids don't get credit because you expect it and there's a joyless relationship there. 
And the root of this attitude is, another thing, it's selfishness. Unmet expectations point to your selfishness. Look at verse 3. You may spend what you get on your own pleasures. The Greek word for pleasures is the word hedonia. It's where we get the word hedonism, which is a philosophy that views our pleasures, our selfish gratification as the chief goal in life. Selfishness causes conflict in relationship. Like, for example, many of you guys, if you look at your, your relationship, you fight over petty things. It cracks me up what people fight over. You fight about the finances. You fight about how to manage your money. You fight about how to raise your kids. Like when Jennifer and I fight, we fight over big, important things. Like we fight over what movie to watch. We fight over what, where we should eat on our date night. We fight whether I should take off my shoes or not when I walk in. We fight if I should take off the trash now or after the cowboy game. This is what we fight about. Here's the mindset behind our fights. Like, how dare you interrupt me with you? I want to watch my movie. I want to eat my food. I want to keep my shoes on. I want to watch my game. Nothing exposes selfishness like marriage. Selfishness is basically an attitude that says this, I'm more important than you are. So whatever you want, whatever you think, whatever you need, whatever you're doing, stop. Because my desires are more than, important than your desires. And you need to meet my desires. And here's a thought. And don't ever inconvenience important me with you. I can't tell you how many times I've been mad because Jennifer would dare inconvenience important me with what she wants. The third thing is pride. How do you know if you're full of pride? Here's a test. Right now, if you're sitting back and you're thinking to yourself, I sure hope my spouse is listening to every word of this. If you're praying in the spirit for your spouse right now and you're hoping they're listening, you know what that is? That's pride. The right way to listen to a message like this is how can I apply it to my own life? If you're listening to this message and you're thinking about anybody else other than you, it's a big form of pride. Proverbs 13.10 says this, pride leads to arguments. Every couple should memorize that verse. Because here's the thing. If you have a pulse, you struggle with pride. And pride comes out of every one of us. And James says this, that God opposes the pride, but he shows favor to the humble. So I want to give you three practical points to do. It's a very practical message today. How to bring down the conflict in your house if you're taking notes. First thing you need to do is you need to look God to meet. Look to God to meet your needs and nobody else. Look what James says in verse 2. You do not have. Why? Why don't you have? Because you don't ask God. Jesus, James tells us the reason that our desires aren't fulfilled is because we don't ask God to meet those desires. We go to the wrong source. We look to other people to fulfill our needs instead of looking to God. And James said, before we look for people to meet our needs, we need to pray to God. And here's the thing about when we look to people to meet our needs. When we, when, even when we pray, sometimes even when we pray, we pray wrongly. We typically don't pray for our spouse. We pray at our spouse. We pray at our kids. God, change him. God, fix her. God, help them do what I want them to do. And when we pray, we sometimes ask God to make our family do what we want them to do. In our prayers, we're still looking for our needs to be met through people. We're asking God with selfish desires. And look what James says. The reason those prayers don't work is why? Because when you ask, verse 2, look what he says. You don't not receive. Why? Because you ask with wrong motives. James is saying, quit going to a person to meet your needs. Because only God can meet your deepest.
greatest needs. Many of us have set up our spouses and our kids and our children for failure because we're looking for significance. We're looking for stability. We're looking for security. We're looking for fulfillment. We're looking for joy in a parent. We're looking for that in a, in a kid. We're looking for that in a spouse. And they can never meet your needs. We should all have a sign around us, Tim Keller, that says, warning, cannot carry the weight of your soul. Like, one of the things uh, I love to do sometimes is I just love going in elevators because I grew up in a small town. But every once in a while, a lot of people, sometimes big people, will get into the elevator, and I'm in the back. And I start doing the math, and I look at the maximum capacity, and I'm like, I might be in trouble here. How many of you guys ever do that too? You get freaked out. Hey, let me tell you, people have a maximum capacity of what they can lift, and they can never lift the weight of your soul. Only Jesus can. Go to him. Go to him. Let me tell you, the biggest problem I deal with in marriage all the time is people who look to their spouse to meet needs that only God can meet. The biggest problem I see. And James says this, come near to God, verse 8, and he'll come near to you. I found out that the closer I get to God, the better I get along with people. Jennifer always asks me when I'm snappy and rude, which is almost never, maybe it's all the time, or not in any ways, working on, he's still working on me. She always asks me, have you prayed today? And every single time it's like, no, not like I need to. Then James gives us the cure for for conflict in verse 10. He says, humble yourselves before the Lord. C.S. Lewis says this, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking about yourself less. That's the way of Jesus. Look what Paul says in his letter to Philippians 2, verse 3 through 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Why? Because pride leads to arguments. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should not look only for your own interests, but the interests of others. Let's apply this specifically to marriage relationships. Humility is looking out for the interests of others, especially for yourself more than anybody else. So here's the next thing I want you to do. I want you to stop demanding and stop expecting and start serving. Love doesn't place demands or expectations on others. It serves others. It's kind of like this. When you invite your boss for dinner, you want to impress them, right? You cook the food they like. You plan the evening, the way they enjoy it. How do you act around someone who's more important than you? You don't interrupt them. You don't correct their stories. You don't make them feel stupid. You laugh at their jokes even if they're not funny. Amen, right? You act like you want to hear about their day. In other words, you defer. You serve them. Treat your spouse like they're really more valuable than you. As a guy, there's some things that will never interest me that interest my wife as I look after her own interests. They're never, I'm never going to wake up one day and say, you know, honey, bunny, you're going to be a perfect day. Let's spend I mean, it would just make my week. What if we go shopping at the domain? So awesome. I really want to fight traffic. I want to drive around like 50 times just to find a parking. And just to clarify, when I go shopping, I say, let's go to the mall like for four to five hours, and let's go to every store possible, babe, especially Altered State and Kendra Scott. I know it's like overpriced stuff, and I want to look at jewelry for hours, babe. That's what I want to do. And at the end of that five hours, you know what would be awesome? Let's go to your favorite place, Panera Bread. I love Panera Bread. That's a beautiful place to eat. Those overpriced soups are incredible. I'll just fill up on croutons. No big deal. And to finish the day, you know what I'd really love? Let's go watch a movie, like a chick flick, like a sappy love story where it's so unpredictable. Like, is there a Nicholas Sparks movie out, babe? Wouldn't that be a great day, honey bunny? And 
let me just say, why don't you take an hour or two to get ready? No big deal. I'll just wait patiently for you. I'm probably never going to love those things. But Jennifer does. And what I've learned is marriage isn't about me. Biblical marriage is not about what somebody can do for you, but it's about how you can love God radically like Christ loved you sacrificially. Let me just tell you this. Marriage isn't about you. Tim Keller says this. Man, when we get married, it's not a proclamation of present love. It's a promise of future love. And when you do this, you are, you are, the Bible says in Ephesians 5 that marriage is a shadow of the reality to a relationship with Christ. And when you get married, biblical marriages, you are saying, I am going to love a person sacrificially like Christ loved me. How many of you guys sometimes didn't always give Christ what he wanted and he still loved you? That's why Christian marriage is so, so different than what the world says marriage is. And then finally, James tells us in verse 8 to wash your hands to purify your hearts. And if your marriage is going to be successful, here's the last thing you need to do. You need to learn to ask for forgiveness. Now, I'm going to say, it's a hard word to say in marriage or in relationships or even in, even in parenting. But here's a word I want you to say. I want you to say, sorry. Can you say it? Say it with me. Sorry. Sorry. Look, look at your spouse. Or look at somebody and say, say, I'm sorry. Look at them. Turn around and tell them, I'm sorry. You might have never said that before, but say, I'm sorry. See, the turning point... For Jennifer and I was two years into our marriage. I was right out of college. She was 19. I was 22 when we got married. So selfish, just thinking about myself. And I realized, like, she grew up in the south in Louisiana. I grew up in New Mexico in the hood. We got married. Cultures colliding. It's wild. And one of the things I had to do, I was, I was a jerk, full of machismo. Not as bad as Paco and Pepe, but pretty close. And I came home one day, the Lord convicted me to reading the scriptures, and I got on my knees and I said, babe, I am sorry for being a jerk. I'm sorry for putting expectations on you. Just for, man, I just wept and knelt before her. I was at her feet. I said, I'm sorry. And it was a turning point for our marriage. I've been married 20 years after that. Nothing disarms your pride like saying, I'm sorry. When was the last time you told your spouse, your child, I'm sorry? I want to give you some real practical take-home steps on how to do this. There are three words if you're taking notes. You can walk through with your spouse when it's home. It's also on the all-access pass that spell the word car. And the first thing is confess. First word is confess to your spouse. Take responsibility where you're turning desires into expectations. Tell them, you know what? Pray right now. Holy Spirit, show me. Where am I expecting things out of my husband, out of my wife, out of my kids, out of these things? Where have I loaded it? Tell them I'm sorry. Tell them I, I, I can't promise I'll never do it again, but I've, no, I've done this. Forgive me. Second thing is ask. Where do you feel pressure to live up to my expectations and what I want? I want to lift that burden. Second question you can ask is, what can I do to make our marriage better and how can I serve you? What are two or three things I can do that make you better? Like, I'm like, man, this is radical, right? This is like Jesus tells you to live. And listen, pray. Ask the Holy Spirit, you know what? I want to give you some handles from the Word of God that's going to make your marriage last. 
And finally, the last word for R, for car is reward. Reward like you did when you were dating. Here's a principle. What you reward will be repeated. Reward your spouse. When they do something you like, thank them. Tell them hello. Sometimes, ladies, give your husband a little hug with a little sprinkle sprinkle in there. He'll be happy. Reward your wife. Buy her something. Care for her. When your spouse is attempting to meet your desires. But here's the reality. Here's what you want to know this morning. It's not them. It's me. It's me. Everybody bow your head and close your eyes. Lord, I sense the spirit of the Lord in here. Lord, I know through COVID, through the last couple years, the enemy has been ravaging relationships, Lord. Mighty one of Israel, holy, holy one, reveal. Say, Holy Spirit, show me where it's me. I don't, I, want you, I don't want you to think about your spouse. I want you to think about you. Lord, show me where I have unmet expectations that I'm putting burdens. Show me where I'm selfish. Show me where I'm prideful. Say this. Can you just say, Lord, how many say I'm willing to serve my spouse and my kids like Christ served me? That's, think about that. That's a radical commitment. Say, that's me. I'm, Lord, I got, I, I'm spilling out. I want that to stop. Raise your hand if you say, I want to I love my spouse, my kids better. Just raise your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, pray for your people. I pray, Lord, as they go home, as they go to life groups through this week, as they confess, as they ask, as they reward, the Lord, that you would make this marriage relationship so rich. It would so be so amazing that you would even compare it to our relationship with you. That's how deep it would be, Lord. A radical, agape love. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for what you're doing. Amen. Love you, Freedom Church. We'll see you next week. God bless. And Paco and Pepe might be out there for some pictures. I'm not sure. We'll see y'all. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.